Well, happy, uh, happy Thanksgiving. As you can see, our church tends to clear out when we dismiss our kids. So if you're really looking for a way to make a difference in others' lives and enjoy a little bit of mayhem, uh, by all means, contact the church office, and we'd love for you to have an opportunity to serve with our kids. We fully believe, especially on Thanksgiving, that church is not just about adults and putting the kids somewhere where they can uh, behave or be loud away from us. Uh, kids and youth are the church. And uh, so I want to ask you a question this morning at Thanksgiving. What, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person who likes like form, so design, the way things look, you really care about aesthetics, are you more like a functional person, like how it works? So maybe you've heard the term form over function. And here's, uh, here's a few examples of some uh, staircases where, first of all, these are um, form over function. So I've creatively named this, these. Here's, here's the first one here. This is called the live edge mistake. Um, beautiful. Uh, really dangerous. Okay, next one here. This is, uh, this is alternating ways to break a leg. Again, really creative, wonderful, good job to the designer. Next, the third one, uh, this is a library of broken bones. Um, again, hey, hats off designers, good job, looks beautiful, it's really dangerous. And the final form over function staircase is this. It's just a, a fancy way to fall. But maybe you're not so much form over function. Maybe you're more, maybe you're more functional. You don't really care how it looks. You just want to make sure that it works. Here's a few examples of that. Uh, tricked you. So you, uh, <laughs> you go up the middle. This next one's really fun. Uh, gotcha. Now look at the sign in the bottom right, okay? Uh, caution, uneven service. You're not seeing that, but uh, until you're flat on your face. Next, here's the third one. Um, problem solved. There's a few issues with this, isn't there? Right? Ew, carpet in the bathroom below the, the, uh, the shower. I guess it's a way. I don't, maybe that's in a hallway. I don't know where that shower is, but hey, problem solved. And the final one, I had no words. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what they were thinking. There's a, there's a ramp on the outside and a ramp on the inside. There's stairs on the outside, stairs on the inside. And it's not symmetrical. I can't look at that anymore. I'm going to have issues. So let's get it off that screen or something bad's going to happen. Um, what we value matters. We've been looking at the values of our church family over the past few weeks. And this morning we're looking at family. And it's Thanksgiving, and I've been interacting with people all morning and throughout the weekend. You know, what have you been doing? And a number of people doing things with their family. And we recognize that family means a lot of things. It's not just your biological family. Uh, we have others we consider family. And so over Thanksgiving, it's typical to spend some time with family. Sometimes that's a good thing, isn't it? And sometimes that's a really bad thing. <laughs> and all of our perspectives matter. But what we value uh, determines our behavior. And when it comes to what we call church family, our value of church family, how we view that determines our behavior as well. So if we're primarily thinking of the church as an organization, or as, um, say, a place where we uh, do worship, or we do outreach, or it's for growth, or it's for fellowship, or it's for youth, or it's a gym with games, or whatever you think of the church... <laughs> That tends to be your perspective and why you come and what you tend to do or what you expect out of the church. Now, we are an incorporated institution, 
legally as part of just who we exist and being able to um, give charitable receipts and all the things. But if that's all we are, then we would function very differently. If we're just a gathering of people who happen to get together once in a while and just sort of figure it out as we go and do whatever we want, well, that, that shapes things as well. So are we, um, are we a hospital for sick people? Are we a worship place for the weary? Are we a mission for the broken? Uh, what are we? Thankfully, the New Testament tells us who we are and gives us a good metaphor and illustration for us to understand. Now, throughout the New Testament, there's various terms for the church. Uh, the church is a body, and the church meaning not the, uh, not the building, but the gathering of people. And the church refers to the local church, smaller gatherings like us, uh, and the church globally. And so referring to both of those things uh, refers to us as a body, as a temple, as living stones, as, as a priesthood. Um, there's a number of different images and metaphors, but the one that is used most, uh, directly using this term and indirectly, you see it everywhere, is family. And when uh, my family returned to Country Hills back in 2007, the term and, and uh, metaphor of family regarding the church was a strong part of who we have always been and was a strong part of us then. In fact, our vision statement had, had this phrase, we will be family loving deeply. And that sentiment has changed the way we phrase that over time. But the sense that we are family together has always been a part of Country Hills. In fact, it comes from the New Testament. So, if this is a term that comes from the Bible, and if it's something that matters to us here and has for some time, then I think it's important that we look at what is this value of family? Why does it matter? How do we value it? And what does it mean for how we think, how we act, and how we behave? So here is our working definition of our value of family. You can see it on your screen. We value the biblical ideal of church as a spiritual family, where everyone is welcome, everyone matters, and everyone has a part to play. Family is fundamental to creating a sense of belonging. We work to support and strengthen families where much of our learning to follow Jesus occurs. And we acknowledge that within God's kingdom, family transcends biological parameters. So in order to understand how we form that, and again, that's a working definition. It's kind of fluid. We change it as, as, we, as we change. But the value where it is has not changed. And so would you just journey with me a little bit through the Bible to understand where this has come from and, and bring those concepts and teaching with what we have in modern day, like today in this church. So the whole idea of, um, of family is, is not new. It's actually rooted in the Old Testament. And Israel, so God's people, was a nation, but they also considered themselves an extended family. So this is not a new term. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, being um, Jewish and being someone who had been a Pharisee and knew the law and had uh, followed God's ways, the Old Testament law, very specifically understood this deeply. And to the Roman church, he writes this, Romans 8, 15 to 16. 
So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. In other words, uh, in believing in Jesus and being made new, you've not come into a new religion under a fearful God, and if you disobey him, he will smite you. You're not slaves. You're not under this rules. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, there's something different going on here. You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So there's a few things going on here. First of all, Father. This is from Jesus. Jesus was considered blasphemous because he called God, not just Heavenly Father or Yahweh, uh, he called God Abba, Daddy. He used a, a, a very intimate term for God and said that others who follow his Father can use the same term. And so that's what Paul is doing. So we have a Father. And the reason that God is our Father is because we are adopted. Those who believe in Jesus, those who receive forgiveness and freedom for their sins and receive a new nature are set free into a new family, adopted. So God is our father, our Abba, our daddy, our spiritual dad, uh, because we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High. That's an amazing thing. We are his children. And we receive, he says elsewhere in Romans 8, we receive an inheritance. Alongside the firstborn of our father, Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice, we get the same inheritance. And God looks on us and sees the righteousness of Jesus and everything that was his, he gives to us. Abundant life and eternal life. And it's a great blessing. We are adopted into family. And elsewhere, all over the New Testament, the most common way for followers of Jesus to refer to each other is brother and sister. And this idea of family runs deep. It's very important. So where did Paul get this idea? Since he, he would have grown up and, and knew this idea from the Old Testament, family, and he's teaching a new way. It's, it's different. It's an expanded, better version of sorts. Where, where did he get this? And we have to go back to the life and the teachings of Jesus. And in Matthew 12, 46 to 50, we find that Jesus is in a home and he's teaching and his mother, Mary, and his brothers. We know a few brothers' names. James is one of his brothers, the guy who wrote the book of James. He ended up after Jesus' resurrection, becoming a believer and a leader in the church. So we, we see pieces of Jesus' biological family. And they're outside. And as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, verse 46, his mother and brothers stood outside. They were asking to speak to him. So they're there for a reason. Someone told Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So did Jesus disown his family of origin? Was he like, yeah, not you, these guys. I I'm done with you. I'm on in ministry. There's something more important. Far from the point. What he was doing was illustrating that there is an idea of family and a reality of spiritual family beyond our family of origin or beyond the family that we live with now, whatever makeup that is. 
And we know that to be true. Because on another occasion, he criticized. In fact, I would say he was quite angry at the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law who took the money that they were supposed to use to care for their elderly aging parents. Remember, they didn't have a social structure. They didn't have systems. So aging parents, widows, there were certain people in society who had no other means of care other than their family or the good nature of others. And the religious leaders took the money that they were supposed to use on their aging parents, took it away, said, we forfeit your care because we're serving God. And they gave it to God. And they thought, this is a good look. Look how spiritual we are. And Jesus said, how could you? <laughs> That's craziness. And even hanging on the cross, Jesus looked down at the disciple whom he loved. If you read throughout the book of John, you read this, the disciple who Jesus loved. It's, it's thought of to be a polite way of referring to himself. John was close with Jesus. And he looked down and said, take care of my mother. He used some other words, but effectively he said, I want to make sure my mother, who has no other means to care for herself, it seems like his half-father Joseph was, I mean, stepfather. Father God's his father. But Joseph was probably uh, dead at that point. And he made sure his mother was cared for. So how does this work if he says, my disciples, those who do my will, are my mother and brothers, sisters? Uh, but he still cared for his family. How does all this work? Well, we do have a family of origin. And so he cares for that. And we have to hold both in certain ways. And they are actually meant to work together. We can think of it as a spiritual family of families. And the real way we need to understand how we interact with that and how we live that out is to see ourselves as actual children of God. Um, there's an organization called Prepare to Answer. You can find their website here, preparedanswer.org. You can subscribe to their um, newsletter and their podcast and stuff. I was listening to a podcast this past week on loving. How do you love your enemies? Um, and I learned some things there, and I want to share this with you this morning because it really helps us understand how we're supposed to live as children of God, as brothers and sisters. And in Matthew 5 to 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus taking the law and putting greater, um, more difficult, more strenuous um, qualifiers on it. So Jesus goes through this uh, refrain again and again. You have heard it said, and he quotes the law, but I tell you, and he talks about grace, but the standards he gives are so great that no one can ever live that. He says, for example, you have heard it said, do not murder. And so the Pharisees and all the you know, good religious people said, I did not murder anyone. I'm doing pretty good. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, but I tell you, don't be angry in your heart against someone and let that lead to sin. Okay? Don't be so angry in your heart. God looks at your heart. And then we all can go, ah, uh, <laughs> I can't do that. And if that's your standard, Jesus, I can't be your follower. Because if you're telling me that in order to follow you, I have to obey you to this level, that's impossible. I don't know how it works. And he said something else. He said, look, do not commit adultery. And so all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they said, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't cheated on my wife. 
uh, I'm doing well. And Jesus said, but I tell you, don't even lust for someone in your heart. And if you're a human being, you may say, ah, I've probably had an impure thought or two. How on earth do we follow Jesus? If, if we're to be children of the Most High and this is his standard, how on earth can we do this? We can't. Not on our best day. <laughs> Not if we have it all together. Not even if we help one another, people helping people follow Jesus and have all the support in the world on our own, can we do this? So how is it that God works in us and through us that we live this way? There's something I missed in all this. I've, I've never, ever seen this. And I want to see if you can catch the pattern. I'm going to go through um, rapid fire some of the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. What he says and where he ends. And see if you can catch the motivation and the focus. Because if we're following Jesus, we follow him, right? So we both follow his example. But he's not just a teacher. We follow this example, this new religion. His very spirit is in us. To work in us and through us. It's a paradox. And so we do need to have the same focus as Jesus. What was his focus? How did he live this way, being fully human and fully divine? Well, it said things like this. Do good deeds and let your light shine before all people. Why? So that people praise your heavenly Father. Do good deeds in private, not showy like the Pharisees on display with placards and cards and look what I did and posting it on social media and all this stuff. Why? So your father, who actually sees what's done in private and looks at your heart, will be the one you look to for approval and reward. Pray privately, different than the Pharisees. Don't wear all these prayer things out in the middle of the streets and pray publicly to get the praise of people. Jesus isn't saying that what... Uh, what happened this morning, you know, public prayer is wrong. He's saying, what's your motivation for praying? Don't be showy like the Pharisees. Why? Because your Father, who hears you in private, will reward you. And your Father will give you what you need. Forgive others, as your Father has forgiven you. Why? So your Father forgives you. Fast in private, not showy, so your Father, who sees everything, will reward you instead of looking for the rewards of other people. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or wear or if you have enough money. Why? Because your Father already knows and he'll provide for that. Your Father invites you to ask and seek and knock for the kingdom. Good fathers on earth are patterned after your Father in heaven. Our motivation and our focus is the same as Jesus. Jesus' motivation as God's one and only Son, His firstborn. And the firstborn from death, it says, the first to rise again. His motivation and His focus was the love of the Father. The love He received and the love He shared, that relationship. And Jesus says, I only say what my Father tells me to say. I only do what my Father tells me to do. And our motivation and ability to live in a new family in a new way is to understand that we have a father who parents differently. And we have a father who empowers differently. And we have a father who's to be our focus. Our focus is not like the Pharisees. It's not like the law. It's not like religion, where we get this big list of things I could never do. You could never do. None of us could ever do that on our best of days, ever. But we can in him, and we can together. Because we are in a new family. 
On more than one occasion, the Father spoke audibly for the benefit of the people listening. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. That's his motivation, to please and honor and submit to and love his Father. And so for us as a church family and as households and as individuals, our focus and our motivation to follow Jesus is the love of the Father, to submit to him, to honor him, to please him, to do what he says, and to ask him for the strength through his spirit because of the sacrifice of his son. Because we're in a family. We're not following religion on our own. We're not trying to be good enough to get into heaven because we can't on our best days. (laughs) But thank God, our Father, he provided a new and living way. Let me uh, give one more example from the Sermon on the Mount. This one will be specific, and maybe we'll catch it. Because our motivation is to be loving and focused on the Father. But what does that do for us tangibly here and now? So Matthew 5, 43 to 45 says this. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That actually wasn't the law. Jesus said, what's the first and greatest commandment? He was asked that. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Pharisees had taken that and warped that to be kind of a national uh, command. And they changed it to say, uh, love your neighbor, your fellow Jews, hate your enemies. So Jesus says, you've heard the religion, the religious teachers, the law says this. Then he says in verse 44, but I say, what? How do we live in the new family? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What? That is such a shift. And in that day and age, it would have been controversial to say the least. Why do we do that? How can we do that? We see it in verse 45. In that way, so when you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Why? Because he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. When we ask God to work in us and through us in these countercultural, beyond human ways, we are simply following our Father as a good child, who gives the evil and the righteous sun and rain. Now, I'm not going to get into all the, what do you do with someone who's caught in sin, and what about people who are willfully evil, and that's not what Jesus is talking about there. He's talking high level. And if our attitudes towards others is not the same as God's attitude, it's very hard to live in his family and to act as his children. To receive the love that our Father is giving and invite others into the family as well. And it's God's desire that all people he create would submit their heart and their knee, would believe in Jesus, and be made new. There's a problem. It's a big one. If that's the truth, that we are all children of God the moment we believe, and we have a spiritual family where we learn to follow God well. Think of your own family and uh, how parents parent. Okay? There's a problem. Because though we are spiritual family to each other, 
though we are made new, though we are equal, though we have been set free, we all grow up in a family of origin, and we all here with those bits of baggage, all right? You're all raised by a family of origin, right? You might say, well, I didn't know my parents. You still had a family. Everyone had a family. Those in foster care have some sort of family. Everyone has people who raised them or didn't raise them. Everyone learned things about the world and themselves. And then we come here with different perspectives and are supposed to act as if we all know the same thing and all see things in the same page. What if your form? What if your function? What if you're more about worship? What if you've learned unhealthy ways to deal with conflict? What if you're an avoider? What if you're a yeller? What if you're a screamer? What if you're a hater? What if you have been abandoned? What if you live in fear all the time? What if you're worried about being in relationships? What if you desperately need relationships? And we bring all that here and we're supposed to function well, peaceably. And we come in the door and we say, how are you? Happy Thanksgiving. I'm fine. How are you? Happy Thanksgiving. And internally, we might have had a terrible time with our family yesterday. And the person we're talking to, we might not see eye to eye with. And we have false peace and we have trouble and we have... So how does that work? How do we sort all of that out? Here's an example. Here's the way marriage is supposed to work. Okay? Two people fall in love. As they come together, they decide to get engaged. And one day they stand before friends and community and God. They meld their lives together. And then they start living together. And they start learning some things about the other person they didn't think they need to learn about. Simple things like, how can that monster turn the toilet paper on the wall side? I don't get it. Why don't they put the toothpaste cap on? How come they're a morning person? Why do they put their dirty clothes on the floor? The hamper's one foot away. Little things. And for some couples, those little things lead to separation and divorce. They can't navigate that. In their family of origin, they haven't learned tools and they haven't reached out for help in it crumbles the whole thing. Those are funny things. Those are easy things. What happens when you start talking about how you learn to deal with conflict as a family? How you share love? How you discipline? What do you do on family vacations? How do you celebrate holidays? How do you parent? What's your view on handling money? And when a couple comes together, those things are a lot harder to navigate. And the stuff we deal with here in a spiritual family are along those lines if we're being family to one another. And we get involved in one another's lives and we find out other people think about things differently, handle things differently. Thankfully, those things that can either bring connection or cause a clash, th there's a remedy for this. Thankfully, we have a perfect Heavenly Father who gives us His Spirit and others in the family to help sort this out. And we learn together, and He's given us His Word and His Holy Spirit. And here's what will help us all. See Country Hills Church as your spiritual family by focusing on your love for our Father. What's the motivation and focus for Jesus? 
His love for the Father. What's going to help us? See this as your spiritual In the focus of that spiritual family, in the focus of your individual life, and your life as a family of families, your household, and our life as individuals, is the love of the Father. We are a family. To the degree that you are growing in your love for the Father and becoming more like Him, it's going to make the family operate better. To the degree you're running from your Father and disobeying, it's going to cause mayhem in the family. I'm going to say a blanket statement. It's a blanket statement. Don't say, well, I had this other thing and it doesn't work that way. This is blanket statement. Okay? A child in the home who obeys the parent and grows in the ways that a good parent teaches makes the home a lot easier. It's a nicer atmosphere because everyone's getting along and moving in the same direction and trying to love and help each other. A child who rebels, disobeys, and is incredibly broken for whatever reason, it makes the home tense. Okay? This is not a children, you've messed your house up. It's It's just a general thing. When there's someone in a home who's working against others, it changes the dynamic. When everyone's working together in the same direction, following the parents, it works well. Good parents can have kids who make bad choices. Yeah. Bad parents who don't parent well can have kids who make good choices and turn out well. I'm not talking about any of that. But in this spiritual family, where we are all becoming more like Jesus and growing in our love for and ability to receive from the Father his love, And that changes us over time. It's going to make our relationships better. And where we see one another as brothers and sisters, and we get involved on a deeper level to help one another and learn to resolve conflict and learn to uh, celebrate with one another and learn to press beyond the, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And then we go home and suffer and struggle. As we see ourselves as a family of family, it changes things. Because, because, The love of the Father we experience and give, that's what flows from us to others and makes all the difference. Out of us flows love in ways like we've been talking about these values. Transformation. When God's love flows out of us and we're all being transformed, it changes things. We begin to help one another. People helping people follow Jesus to become more like him. And come close to the Father. It flows out of us in practical ways like grace. Seeing ourselves each as co-equal children under the Father. All on a journey. And we learn to overlook fault. And extend grace. And challenge sin. We learn to do those things. We learn to care for one another. Which is the practical outpouring of love. And where we see ourselves as a spiritual family. And and function that way. It's much much better. See Country Hills Church as your spiritual family by focusing on your love, I guess, for and from our Father. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.19. So now you Gentiles. So Gentiles are non-Jewish people. The first followers of Jesus were Jewish. And then the gospel spread, and that caused a lot of controversy in the church. Because isn't this a Jewish thing? Don't you need to be circumcised? What about the law? How can we let these pagans in? How can we let these Greeks in? These Gentiles. And in Ephesus, the church, there were Gentiles, non-Jews, and Jews. And Paul was 
trying to help them to see they're to be unified. They are one. They are equal. They're brothers and sisters. So he says, so now, you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens. And then he goes further. You're citizens along with all God's holy people. In fact, you're members of God's family. That was revolutionary for a Jew to hear. What? But, but I'm the son. I'm the daughter of God. No, we all are. Emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy relationships, which is all part of emotionally healthy discipleship. We teach here at our church. It's incredibly important. I have grown uh, amazingly through this over the past 10 years and specifically the past five years. It's so, so important. And I've learned so much. And I've learned a lot about family and spiritual family. So I want to read some things from author Pete Scazzaro, who does the course and the books. The great news of the gospel is that your family of origin, the place you grew up, the family, the people, whether they're blood relatives or not, the people you grew up with, your family of origin does not determine your future. God does. We are not only forgiven, but freed from the power of sin present in our families over generations. God's very life in the person of the Holy Spirit now resides within us. We receive a new heart, a new nature, a new spirit. We place our faith in Christ. We are spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit into the family of Jesus. We are transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of light. What determines our new identity is no longer the blood of our biological family, but the blood of Jesus. It's a radical new beginning. The most significant language in the New Testament for becoming a Christian is adoption into the family of God, Romans 8. That's where we started today, Romans 8. The Apostle Paul used the familiar practice of Roman adoption to communicate this profound truth, emphasizing we are now in a new and permanent relationship with a new Father, God. Our debts, our sins are canceled. We are given a new name, Christian, a new inheritance, freedom, hope, glory, the resources of heaven, and we have new brothers and sisters from around the world. Jesus defined his new family as those who do his will and listen to him. For the believer, the church is now the first family. And scholars Ray Anderson and Dennis Guernsey say it best. The church is the new family of God. Through spiritual re rebirth, we each become a brother or sister of Jesus Christ through adoption into the family of God. Consequently, we are brother and sister to each other. Husbands and wives are first of all brother and sister in Jesus Christ before they are husband and wife. Sons and daughters are also brother or sister to their father and mother before they are sons and daughters. The New Testament assumes that growing into maturity as a disciple happens within the context of a healthy local church family. God's intention is that our local churches and our parishes are the communities where, slowly but surely, <laughs> we are reparented into doing life Christ's way. So to be people, helping people follow Jesus, we need to see Country Hills Church as our spiritual family. And we do that on our own by focusing on the love of the Father. And as we gather in our households by focusing on the love of the Father. And as we gather as a church family by focusing on the love of the Father. And as each local church gathers in uh, areas and regions, the global church focusing on the love of the Father. It's your Father who sent his firstborn son, to die in your place that you might be adopted, 
transform, change, welcome into a new family so you can have all the blessings of this new family and help others. And to the degree our family's healthy in here, it's sure going to make welcoming new people in a lot better. Because if our church family has tons of dysfunction, it's less effective. So seeing ourselves as our first family, working together, helping one another, making connection, being transformed, understanding grace, offering care, all of these things come under spiritual family. That's why we value it here. And as we head into communion, as Chrissy comes up and begins to play, I'll give some instructions. But I want you to think about these two questions. Are you experiencing your father's love? Oh, just go back there, Ben, to the very last slide there. There we go. Are you experiencing your father's love? Are you loving your father? As we go into communion, think about those two questions. Are you experiencing your father's love? Are you loving your father? Now, communion is a time where we can remember. I'm going to read a portion of scripture in a minute. So we remember what Jesus has done. We reflect on um, where my heart is with God. We reflect on the Father's love. We repent. We have opportunity to turn from where we have been to where we should be. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, okay, communion is for believers, for followers of Jesus. But if you've never believed in Jesus, never chosen to follow him, what better time than over the body and the blood of Christ to repent, to choose his way? It's a time to renew. Ask for renewal from Jesus and renew your, your passion and your love for God. And it's a time to rest in the Father's love. This is a great time to admit your sin, to believe for the first time, and to choose to follow Jesus. And in a moment, as Chrissy is playing, after I pray, I'm going to invite you to come forward and take the emblems, and you can partake on your own, or you can do that with the household you're with, or with friends who sit around you. You decide what time you need. But Paul gave these instructions to a church who was a mess. They would gather for something called a love feast as a church family. And it was meant to help the poor have something to eat. And they would close that love feast with communion. And the rich would come and eat all the food first and leave nothing for the poor. And the rich would come and get drunk. And then it would be mayhem. And by the time they got to communion, there was nothing of Christ and nothing of the church family really left to even experience. And so he says these words to that broken church. I hope we're not that broken but we all have brokenness this morning. He says this, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the new way, new and living way, between God and his people, your Father, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So, anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine your heart before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. What does that mean to examine? What does it mean to um, 
you know, do this unworthily. It's, it certainly doesn't mean if you are sinless, you may eat, you may drink. None of us are sinless. So if you've got something between you and God and something between you and someone else, you need to deal with that with God and wrestle that through. You can still partake in communion. This may be the moment where God puts something in your heart to go to someone else or make something right with God. What it does mean is we don't treat this as a thing. It's just a thing we're doing. Just a bit of bread, just a bit of juice, something we do regularly, big deal. Let's go eat turkey, right? Uh, that's unworthily. Take this moment for yourself. Uh, ben, if you want to put the communion slide up there, and I encourage you to do this, and we'll leave this up while Chrissy plays, and then she's eventually going to sing and welcome you to sing. Remember, reflect, repent, renew, rest. So after I pray, I invite you to come get the emblems and take it at your own pace. Use this moment with your father. And remember, you're sitting beside brothers and sisters who you need and who need you. May we be spiritual family to one another because of the love of the Father. Father, thanks for sending your son. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It doesn't make any sense. Lord, we're so ingrained with this desire to earn and achieve and do something for our own salvation, for our own worthiness, to be approved, to be affirmed. Father, we want to hear you say you're well pleased with us, your son or your daughter. But Father, thank you. It's not based on our ability uh, to follow rules, but it's based on the submission of our hearts. And so as we take the bread representing your broken body, Jesus, and the cup representing the new covenant, the new way to salvation, a new and living way, not law, grace. May we recognize that as we do so, you have done everything necessary for life and godliness in you. And may we be renewed. May we rest in your love. May we be a transformed people. May we be a people who are full of love for one another, even love for our enemies, and love for those who are not yet in this family. Change us. Move us. Shape us, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.